All right, hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Jack Hallows podcast. Today, I'm really excited because this is probably the first podcast episode that I've done so far where I don't think I'm going to have any value to add to the conversation <laughs> whatsoever. That's not true. Today, That's not true. We're very lucky. We've got Sheridan Sky on the podcast. Now, Sheridan has a really long introduction here, so I'm going to try and remember to get everything in. Former nurse, mum of two, which is probably the most important one under here, and also a pre- and postnatal coach, uh, having worked with Coach Mark Carroll and newly a part of Team BioLane. Sheridan, congratulations. Thank you. I'm probably missing something in there, but you know, feel free to add anything else that's there. And yeah, just welcome to the pod, Sheridan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, that all sounds pretty much me but I still do nursing. Oh, you still do nursing yeah, as well? Oh, amazing. Yeah, I do it casually because I'm, I don't want to let go of the registration. Sure, yeah. But yeah, I probably should let that go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's me. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how you find the time. Like I'm, I'm sitting here and like people say to me, what do you do? And I'm like, I am an online coach and <laughs> I make content and I'm very busy. And then I'm like, I'm really not that busy, am I? Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I was talking to Ash, who's the owner of the gym that we're filming at. And she has a little boy and she was like, how did I ever think I was busy, busy before I had kids? But I just watched you guys set up for this podcast. So... <laughs> I kind of get it. Different kinds of busy there, yeah, right? Because yeah, I just yeah. listened to your podcast because Sheridan has her own podcast as well, Female Fitness Formula, mm. which you guys mm-hmm. can find on Spotify, iTunes and everywhere good. Um, you just interviewed Jordan Sire. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. a new dad as well. And it was really interesting hearing you guys kind of talk about the differences mm. in parenthood between kind of men and women especially as well. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome having him on the podcast. Uh, and I particularly wanted to chat with him because, you know, coming from the fitness world mm. before I had kids, you know, uh, I worked with Glenn Carroll as mm. a, he was my coach. So I was at a level where I was advanced, I could say. And it having kids changed a lot for me, not just in business, but my training, the way I approach life. So it was really cool to have a conversation with someone who just gets it. Yeah, so you can sure. try and empathize as much as possible, but until you're kind of in the trenches, it's it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, and yeah. I can definitely speak to that. Like I'm, I look after a cat. That's my, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you know. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I find that hard enough. But then yeah. I see, yeah, people with, like, you know, I'm late twenties now, so I'm starting to have more friends mm-hmm. who have kids, and I'm kind of looking at the difference in responsibilities. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a client the other day, and he was saying a lot of his friends don't understand when mm-hmm. he goes no, I, I can't come out tonight just because I want to look after the girls. Like he's got yep. three kids and he's like, you know, my priority now is my family and my children, which, you know, probably the way it should be when you've got three under fives, um, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, but he said like a lot of his mates being male don't understand, you know, they're mm. 35, not married, no yeah. kids. They're just kind of like, yeah. no, come on, man, come have schnitzels and beer night. He's like, I cannot, yeah, I, I can't cannot, do it. Yeah, yeah. And especially the, the night nighttime routine, like, the hours between 4 to 7 p.m. are fucking <laughs> insane. It's in, it's insane. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you really, truly can't appreciate until you're in it, but you shouldn't be expected to understand what it's like until you are in it. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, and, and even trying to take kids to a restaurant is just, just don't. <laughs> Can I give you one piece of parenting advice? Of course. Just don't. Just don't? Just don't. Okay. Just don't. I'll leave him in the car outside. I think that's great parenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is why I don't have kids yet. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to work on that. All right, Sheridan, let's jump into a little bit about yourself because I imagine there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who do know who you are. As I said, Mm. you know, you've worked with Mark quite extensively. The last was about like 18 months or so doing Mm. the pre and postnatal series with Coach Mark Carroll. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, funny story behind that, actually. He, so I was pregnant with my second, Evie. Mm. I was one of those crazy that had two under two. I thought, let's just get it over and done with. Let's just do it. And Mark had contacted me about a pre and postnatal series when I was pregnant with Evie. Mm. And I mean heavily pregnant, like... I may go at any time, kind of pregnant. And Mark was like, I really think that Coach Mark Carroll needs this. I want to do this. Can you do this for me? And I was kind of like, how do I pass up this kind of opportunity? But I'm also about to give birth to a child. <laughs> um, but yes, so, so Evie is now 18 months and we launched the pre and postnatal series February 2022. Yeah. So I had just given birth to Evie, had two under two, and the very next day after birth, I was writing those programs. So, wow. yeah, and then we got them out, and it, it was a great opportunity, so I, I had to take it, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, of course, yeah. and now as well, as we said before, you know, joining Team BioLane as well, so getting to work with another, you know, mm. kind of goat of the industry, essentially, which is yeah. really awesome. But take us back before that, like, how did you, really quickly, because I'm always fascinated for this, how did you go from... You know, obviously you still do some nursing, but how did you go from that being your kind of main mm. pursuit, your main kind of life path to then kind of moving into the fitness industry? Yeah, good question. So I'm 32 now. How, how old are you? you I'm 27. Like, 27. Okay. Baby. 27. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, as soon as you're like above 30s, you're like, I am old. My hips don't creak <laughs> yeah. that much yet. Yeah, they're getting yeah, there, but yeah. they're not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually, so I started a Bachelor of Nutrition when I was, oh, I want to say... 12 years ago. So I was working face to face mm. in a gym and I was studying my Bachelor of Nutrition then. Uh, and that was my passion and I was working within that for about four years while I was studying. But, you know, back then I think that the pursuit of thinness was what we did, whereas today in 2023, women are more, I just want to get fucking really strong yeah um but I was definitely in the industry when it was all about how do you just become the smallest version of yourself and I had quite a tough time with a few disordered eating habits I didn't have an eating disorder so to speak but you know orthorexia and I was just in this space in the fitness industry where it was it wasn't helping the way that I approached what I was doing within my work sure and I was like, I'd always been really fascinated with science. So I was like, fuck y'all, I'm going to study nursing. So in my last year of uh, nutrition, I transferred over to a Bachelor of Nursing and I went into critical care nursing. And I've always been quite passionate about research, so evidence-based. Mm. And that's what I love. Nursing gave me that because it was very much, if I'm making a decision to save somebody's life, I better have some kind of evidence to back up why yeah, I'm doing sure. what I'm doing. And then, f funny enough, uh, I had gotten rid of the fitness industry altogether, and then my husband was listening to Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. And look, I, Joe Rogan has an incredible platform and has some awesome people on there but some of those people are really questionable right yeah, yeah i agree <laughs> it's it's very entertaining but there's a reason that it's very entertaining yes, a lot exactly. of the time that's why they're on there right um so my husband listens to it religiously still to this day and it's always been a okay it's in the background but i'm not listening to it and i remember a, an episode with lane norton on it yeah 
Never heard of who Lane Norton was before in my life, working as a critical care nurse in the intensive care unit. And I was like, what is this person talking about? Like, is this, what is this evidence-based coaching, nutrition? And when he spoke, it was very much like, oh, he has evidence to back up his claims. He's mm. coming from point of views, not from a point of bias or opinion, but science. Yeah. And I was like, that was exciting for me because it gave me an opportunity to take what I loved about science and research and apply it to fitness because you know, being an intensive care nurse, people, like, that's, that's not prevention. That's, that is, this person is very unwell. They are dying. That's why they end up in intensive care. Yeah. So it was kind of, I was missing that piece where I was like, this is preventable and how do we help people before they get here? Okay, yeah. So seeing the opportunity with evidence-based nutrition coaching, quote-unquote, excited me and I was like well this seems like an awesome op opportunity for me to get back into the fitness industry and I've kind of always had my foot in the door so this was 2016 okay now uh and I was like okay well I'm gonna start you know online coaching because at the time I was working as a nurse and yeah and then from there I just sort of started taking on clients upskilling in terms of I went and did Mac Nutrition Uni I did a few other courses through like clean health um and yeah I'd sort of I don't know how I ended up here I just ended up here and you know it's it's kind of like and as a coach yourself imposter syndrome is Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Especially when you're working with people like Mark Carroll and, and Lane Norton. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. There are so many parts of me that I'm like, do I even know what I'm talking about? Do I, you know, and, and all the things that we tell ourselves. But I think as, as a mum, if I can give my girls anything, it's just back yourself. It's okay to be wrong about things. And I think we allow our ego to prevent us from making so many decisions that will help us because we're afraid of being wrong. Yeah. So I'm kind of just like, well, let's just have the motto, I'm not here to be right, I'm here to get it right. And yeah, I, d I don't know. I didn't do anything great, I'm just here. I, I really like that. And I think there's two things I want to highlight there with that kind of imposter syndrome thing, especially like mm. number one, uh, James Smith always talks about this. He's like, mm. you don't get born knowing how to be a parent or how to be yes. a coach or how even how to drive all this sort of stuff. You have to learn. And he's like, so why is it that we as human beings get so kind of caught up in the fact that we have to learn? He's like, yes. you know, why, why does, why do we let that make ourselves feel bad? Mm. And the second one is, I don't know if you listen to the modern wisdom podcast at all. No. Um, Chris, it's either Williams or Williamson. It's one of the two. Um, but he, and I'm probably going to butcher this quite a bit, but he said something the other day when I was listening to one of his episodes, he said, identity lags behind reputation. And he said, basically, this is the biggest thing that kills so many people's dreams and kills so many people's progression is mm. that there's this kind of like two year lag between where you're actually at and where you yeah. think you're at. Yeah. And he was like, you know, so many of us are doing so much better than we think we are, yeah. but we still think we are where we were two years ago. Mm. And this never changes. He's like, regardless of where you get. So he was talking to Alex Hormozzi, who's 
made so much money and so high up in business and stuff. But he was like, you know, for you, do you still see yourself as kind of being where you were two years ago when you were worth this? And he's like, yeah, 100%. He's like, yeah. I don't see myself as being the $100 million man or whatever. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. that's my reputation. That's what I play into. But he's like, when I think of it inside, he's like, yeah. I'm not there yet sort of thing. So sure. it is an interesting thing. And um, I definitely think the more coaches I speak to, the more people are kind of like, ah, oh, I know nothing and I'm terrible and I'm this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you're not. But I also like that you think like that a little bit because yeah. it means, you know, you're not going to go out and put all this rubbish out online and be like, this is definitely true, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's like the, uh, I think it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So for, for those who haven't heard of it, Dunning-Kruger is like you gather a small amount of knowledge and you're like, I am an expert in this. I'm going to put out this course and it's kind of like the carnival diet, right? Like, yeah. Like, let's let's be honest but then so your confidence is at an all-time high and the more you learn you're more like the more you realize I know nothing yeah and so you you start to realize that there's just so much more to learn but I really love what you said because the truth is we look at imposter syndrome as if it's a bad thing but the point is you are an imposter because mm -hmm. you haven't been where you want to go and you have this vision for yourself but you're not there yet. So yeah. you are an imposter. And that's just a, a really beautiful opportunity for us to realize that it's okay to be a beginner. That's mm. where we all start. And just keep swimming. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. good movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a good movie. All right. So let's move into a little bit about your coaching. Because you primarily specialize in coaching females. Uh, am I Only right females. Only females. So when you said that you can't add value... I don't know what to do with you. Like you're, a, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm sure I'd figure it out. It's but not hard. Yeah. Just tell me to eat and move some heavy stuff, <laughs> yes, really. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah. this is something that I posted about on Instagram the other day to a very base level because I then yeah. knew that I was having you on the podcast this week and I was like, this is going to be really cool. I can put this very base level out of the kind of differences between training men and women. And look, let's kind of pigeonhole this mostly to body comp and kind of like yeah. performance because realistically, yes, there's so many other goals, but like, I don't know about flexibility and I don't yeah. know about all that sort yeah, of stuff. No, so let's no, keep yeah. it down that yeah, kind yeah. of like yeah. rabbit hole we can go down. Um, you know, and it's a very broad question, but are there things that you would consider that are more important for women to focus on with their training and nutrition when chasing body composition and strength goals specifically mm. than maybe it would be for men? Oh, it's a really great question. And I'm sure that a lot of people will disagree with what my, my stance is on it because I don't approach things according to a gender. I mm. approach things in the way of who is the person in front of me, what are their needs, and I'm gathering biofeedback from them and their unique circumstances to make decisions. So when we talk about things like, what are the low-hanging fruit for body composition? Each freaking protein, lift heavy shit, sleep, manage stress, get in enough calories, get in enough micros, you're pretty good to go. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, you know, yes, you can look into the research from a, well, women probably tolerate higher volume point of view, but is that also because men tend to push that RPE a little bit more in general? I think that women are getting way better at that, which mm. is really exciting. But from a physiological standpoint, I don't change anything. You know, yes... Some women, depending on the woman, not, I don't want to generalise, but say a few days before they're about to get their period, they might be like, I am so hungry, I want to eat all of the things. Yeah, and, yeah. and some women don't. Some people don't experience that. So 
like, yes, there's some research to show that prior to menstruation, women will have an increase in basal metabolic rate, so they might need an extra few hundred calories. Mm. It doesn't mean go and eat the block of chocolate, but it might just mean, you know, if she is in a deficit and she's really struggling with satiety during that phase of her cycle, you might say, hey, girl, why don't you just add 100 to 200 calories? Or how about we take a diet break around this period? Um, because ultimately, when we look at all of the things that we think matter, and we look at, you know, kind of think of it as a triangle, like what matters, protein, calories, macros, et cetera, or calories, protein, macros. What's at the bottom? It's adherence. Yeah. And all women, we can't, or I don't like to say, because you're a woman around ovulation, you're going to need this. And yeah. because you're a woman around menstruation, you're going to need this. So I approach it as a person first scenario. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm very glad to hear that because I'm quite the same as well, you mm. know, and I, I always think like, it's always the goal that's number one. And then as you said, it's the context of the individual in front of you because yeah, like there's gonna be guys that I train, for example, where I'm like, I can smash you with five days and we can really high volume. You're gonna be eating all the calories. You know, mm -hmm. your rest and recovery is on point because you have a very low stress job or whatever. Like, you know, you train a 21 year old dude who's in uni, yeah. like, oh my God, like yeah. they're gonna respond to that yeah. amazingly. Yeah. But similarly, you take a 38 year old guy who's, you know, three kids working a really intense job. Mm -hmm. um, wife is working quite a lot of hours as well. So then they're trying to balance what they do with the kids. And then, yep. you know, their family's getting older and stuff as well. There's all these other little stresses. And it's like, they're probably sleeping a lot less. They're yeah. working a lot more. Maybe he trains three days a week and we're really just hoping he gets the protein in there, yeah. you know, so. Minimum effective dose. Exactly. It's always yeah. person over gender. Um, and that's a huge rabbit hole that we can go down. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> One of the things I would ask though is if you're considering like nutrition specifically, yeah. like if you're looking at fat loss and let's go fat loss because this is probably where there's going to be if there are any differences. Like we talk a lot about these kind of ideal macro ranges and mm. ideal kind of percentages and splits, which probably aren't as ideal as a lot of people put them out yeah. to be. <laughs> yep. But are there things you consider with female nutrition when you are dieting? And we'll put the menstrual cycle aside because obviously that's quite a specific yeah, yep. sort of situation. But just in general, like women are probably going to be dieting on lower calories generally, like not always, but generally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is there anything you consider macro and calorie wise when dieting your ladies or...? Oh, again, it's a great question. And to be honest, no, like there's not anything really specific because like it's, when you look at will women generally diet on lower calories compared to men? Yeah, they will because their mass is smaller, yeah, right? Exactly. Women tend to be smaller humans than males. So when we look at metabolism, the costliest component of metabolism is your basal metabolic rate, your BMR, mm. which is going to account for, you know, 50 to 60% of your total energy expenditure, your TDE. If a woman weighs, let's say 65 kilos, and you compare that to a man who weighs 90 kilos, you know, the mass is different. So they require more calories to exist. So therefore, when they diet, they are going to require less calories. Mm. So... I feel like it's not helpful to uh, compare women to men in a fat loss because for that reason, but then generally speaking, it, it's just again, you know, what is the protein target that I'm aiming for? Are you in a fat loss phase? You're probably gonna need a bit more protein than if you were at maintenance or in a surplus. And then at the end of the day, 
I ask, what do you feel you can handle in terms of a macro split, right? Because yep. if you say to me, here is 40 grams of fat and here's 200 grams of carbs and here's, I don't know, 130 grams of protein. I'm going to hate that because I prefer and I gravitate toward foods that are higher fat. Okay. So it's, again, it's more, what do you feel you can be adherent to? Because ultimately that's going to decide whether or not you stay in a, fat, in a, in a deficit. And that's ultimately the main goal. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and it comes back, doesn't it, to this whole like, tendency of people to try and overcomplicate stuff yeah. just to sell more you yeah. know you see the yeah. funniest one is always v-shred like v-shred absolutely oh, kills yeah, me yeah. this <laughs> fucking hormonal reset like metabolic reset i'm like Dude, oh, like, yeah. dude, what are you even saying? Like, yeah. you know, and then yeah. you know, people go, oh, he's clearly really intelligent. He's not. I'm like, there's a reason why you don't see him in anything that's not scripted. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, but you raise a really interesting point because it's like, if you look at something like, you know, there is a lot of advocates for the eat for your body type. You're going yeah. to, you know, tolerate more carbs. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. It's like, okay, well, if you start as a, let's say, quote unquote, endomorph, right? You have a higher percentage of body fat and you lose that body fat, you're then a mesomorph. So yeah. were you ever, were you actually an ecto, an endomorph or were you a mesomorph or were you an ectomorph that went into it? I, I don't know. Exactly. I don't have the answer to that. Exactly. I do, but it's <laughs> horse shit. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's person first approach yeah. and just nailing the basics. And I think in the fitness industry, that's what's challenging because the basics are really not sexy. Yeah. Yeah, They're exactly. They're really boring. And it comes to everything. It's like, you want to yeah. grow your glutes? Do your hip extension patterns. You yeah. know, you want to diet? Eat in a calorie deficit. However you want to frame that, however you want to get there, yeah. just do that. You know, you want to get stronger? Do the fucking lift and put more yeah. weight on the bar. Like, yeah. you know, but you're right. It doesn't sell and it doesn't, it's not exciting for people. Like, this is something me and Mark talk about all the time mm. and he gets very frustrated about. Yeah. He's like, you know, why is somebody hanging upside down from a squat rack with a plate in between their legs, <laughs> yes, like trying to strengthen yeah. their adductors? He's like, yeah. just get on the fucking adduction machine, yes. you know? But yeah. but people don't want to buy that, which is a real yeah. shame. Um, yeah. But hey. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's Social maybe media. why I will never be as rich as v Shred, so. Yeah, well, you know. I'd <laughs> Am I the winner or a tier? Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about the menstrual cycle. Yeah. Like, let's get into this because... Recent meta-analysis, March mm -hmm. 2023, is um, essentially it's titled something like current evidence does not support that women will be negatively affected in strength performance and resistance training adaptations mm. around their menstrual cycle. And for me, this is something that when it came out, I was really interested to read this because for me, like, again, it's hard for me to frame this being male. You know, yeah. I don't actually have a menstrual cycle. Um, you know, I can get very moody at times, but you know, that's <laughs> yeah. not quite the same thing. Um, you know, so I never want to kind of put myself out there being like, this is what I do with my clients because it's always anecdotal. It's always entirely on the information that they give me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm processing that feedback and going, okay, Client A needs 200 more calories around the start of her cycle because she's getting really hungry. Mm. Client B gets really bad cramps and she can't get out of bed. I'm probably not going to make her deadlift this yeah. week, you know. Yeah. But client C goes in and pulls PBs every week whenever it comes to this, you know, sort of thing. So 
what I kind of wanted to do was get your thoughts on a this this study or collection of studies, but also just in general how you mm. would and you've kind of touched on it already that you are yeah. pretty similar in that individualized approach. But yeah. is there anything there that you disagree with in that paper? Anything that you kind of look at and you're like, mm. no, maybe not, or? Mm. Yeah, good question. So the the paper uh, was a systematic review that looked at a number of different uh, papers. So why this is important is because, you know, have you ever had someone who says, they they try and refute, refute, you know, the body of evidence by saying, but this paper said, and they'll send you this paper. And it's like one study. And it's like, I don't get excited on one study. It's one yeah. study. And, you know, even when we look at how we treat patients from a medical standpoint it's about the body of evidence what does how do we take all of the information that we have how do we collate it to be like all right we tried this this happened we tried that that happened to make an informed decision about what is best practice going forward so the great thing with a systematic review is that it does look at it's you know it looks at a number of different studies it's not designed to make its own decisions it's there to say what do we currently know about this topic what don't we know and how does that inform the way that we coach people? Yeah. So it's an interesting study because a lot of people got quite upset about it. Um, I and can it, see that. Yeah. 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 There was quite a lot of, you know, and I actually did a podcast with Mark on this just before we, we, we did a podcast. Um, but, you know, the study wasn't there to refute or say, hey, you know, if you feel like you have a lot of pain around menstruation, it's all in your head, you mm. know, just get on with it and go and do the, the heavy deadlift session. The study was really helpful because when we look at, you know, evidence in terms of sport performance, hypertrophy in general, there is a weighted um, bias towards studying men because one of the questions that researchers have is, does the menstrual cycle affect the data that we get at the end? So as researchers, okay. people are thinking, I want to do this study. I need to try and control as many variables as I can because that, that ultimately comes down to is it statistically significant enough? So if women have these highs and lows throughout the menstrual cycle and men kind of just, you know, cruise... They're never just in one level, but they don't have these. Yeah, highs there's not and as many highs. like ups and downs. Yeah, and, yeah, correct. So this the systematic review was asking like, well, do does the menstrual cycle affect these things? Because if it doesn't, then why are we so afraid to include women in these studies? So yeah. from a, a if if we're looking at it from a you know, uh, I guess a feminist sort of approach where women do, like, we do need to include more women in studies. We don't have enough data on, on women. And that's one of my biggest challenges as a pre and postnatal coach. It's like, there's just not that much um, because of all these reasons and, and ethics and, and all these other things. But if, if the menstrual cycle doesn't affect these things, it could be a really good thing for, for researchers to mm. be like, yeah, well, let's start including more women in studies. Uh, so in terms of the, the research itself, it said that, yes, the menstrual cycle doesn't appear to have a meaningful effect on 
exercise performance and therefore we shouldn't be really uh, preemptively changing a client's programming yeah. based on the fact that maybe these things will affect them, um, which, yeah, upset a lot of people. So yeah. I guess it's it's kind of like um, what we said before, Jack, it's individual first because when we think about, you know, the, the what the menstrual cycle is, and I'm, I'm happy to go through that if, if that's helpful, there are highs and lows of, you know, hormones like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. Yeah. And the theory is that, you know, in the luteal phase of the cycle, so let, let, let's backtrack and sort of start from, from the beginning. So after menstruation, there is what we call the follicular phase. We have ovulation following, then we have the luteal phase. Yes. And the theory is that in the follicular phase, when hormones are relatively stable until the end of the follicular phase, we have an increase in estrogen and a peak of testosterone at around ovulation. Should a baby not be produced from, from that experience, then we head, you know, um, start to head into the luteal phase. And then the body prepares again for menstruation and releasing an egg and, and doing its thing. Yeah. So in the luteal phase, we see a decline in estrogen, testosterone, and an increase in progesterone. And the theory is you're going to be a boss in your follicular phase, lift all of the heavy shit. And then in your luteal phase, yeah, you're probably not going to perform too well. So if I said to you, Jack, hey, look, once a month, you're going to train like dog shit. How is that going to affect you going into that session? Exactly. Yeah, mm. exactly. And that's yeah, something that just comes, kind of comes down to programming in general. And I quite like that they touched on this in the study. They were basically like, it's just undulating periodization, yeah. but kind of a pissing into the wind variation of it. Cause they were yeah. kind of like, you're essentially preparing for something that may happen. Absolutely. Mm. But there's every chance that it doesn't, you know, mm. and it's kind of like why I have a bit of a gripe with um, pre-enforced deloads and stuff just in general. Cause yeah. I'm like, you're basically telling someone that at week six, they should feel bad. Like yeah. they shouldn't be training well. Yeah. So they need to cut back. And it's like, it's okay if you want to be thinking in your programming, okay, I've pushed too hard into this point. And maybe you do kind of go, I'm going to push harder into this phase of the cycle and out of this way. But it's like, yeah. But it's such a short-term thing of like, are you really giving adaptations a good chance to occur or are you mm. just kind of unnecessarily ramping volume and intensity and then dropping it off and then mm. ramping and then dropping it off sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that the study was written with other studies in mind. That's actually fascinating as well. Mm. Cause mm. yeah, it, 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 does, it does say in the study, doesn't it? Like that there isn't really sufficient research because mm. they can't do as much with women. Right, like it's, yeah, I think well, it's actually quoted in there. Yeah, well, it's just that we don't have that much data on it. But mm. some of the limitations in the data that we do have is that, you know, for example, they've said we use basal metabolic temperature to determine when a woman is ovulating. Yeah, yeah. And the, the issue is that many women do use, you know, basal metabolic temperature um, to determine, oh, am I potentially ovulating? But the thing is that your, your temperature your internal temperature can go up for a number of different reasons. If you've had a bad night's sleep, if you are stressed, if you're mm. under-recovered, if you're unwell, alcohol intake, all of these things contribute toward your internal body temperature. So while it's like one tool, kind of like looking at scale weight as one tool or flexible dieting as one tool we can use to determine X, Y, Z, 
internal temperature is the same. And the problem with the, many of the studies that we have is that it assumes that a woman has a 28-day cycle. Mm. So a normal quote-unquote cycle is anywhere between 21 to 35 days. Okay, yeah. And a woman's cycle might change from cycle to cycle. So one cycle she might ovulate on day 13, on another cycle it might be day 15. She might ovulate for only a few hours, whereas another woman might ovulate for a few days. So there's not been, a, in my opinion, enough of a control in terms of determining where in that cycle that woman actually is Yeah. Okay. to then make those recommendations. It is just 28-day cycle. This is probably roughly where she's ovulating and then determining it from there. Um, so the data that we have, I don't want to say that we shouldn't consider it at all because, you know, mechanistically, maybe it makes sense, uh, but does that always transfer over to practical implications? And if you're a coach that is even remotely good at what you do, yeah. you're asking for biofeedback from your clients. Yeah. How are you feeling? Are you feeling beat up? You know, and, and you're, like you said before, you know, client one hits PBs, client two, can't get out of bed. Yeah. And this study was definitely not to say to, you know, the women who on day one of their men menstrual, sorry, of menstruation, that, hey, you should just go and hit the PBs. Yeah. Because personally, I'm one of those women that day one, I, I'm not going to the gym. Because yeah, sure. I do experience that discomfort. But it's more that when we look at the recommendations that are being made, it's based off of the changes in the hormones of the cycle. Whereas it's a little bit more complex than that. So, you know, before a woman's bleed, she's going to experience an increase in prostaglandins, which help the uterine lining to shed to okay. prepare for the, the new cycle. And that can create the cramps. It can create the GI upset. It can create, you know, problems with bowel motions and everything like mm. that. So it's like, is it the hormones or is it the other things that are going on? And yeah, so it's just take an auto-regulated approach. And that's why yes. we yeah. use RPE. It's rate of perceived exhaustion. Yeah. You determine what that means for you. That is subjective for what it means for you. It doesn't mean even RPE 8 last week was a 100 kilo deadlift for however many reps, that's what RPE 8 this week is going to be. Yes. That's why we auto-regulate and that's why it exists. Yeah, it's always context, 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 isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, it you depends. Know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Every yeah. good question always has <laughs> yeah. the it depends answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to touch on there really quickly, which I didn't actually put in the, the notes, because I think it would be interesting for a lot of women to hear this, especially if they're trying to lose body fat, mm. is the um, GI disruption when we come to having your period, because yeah. a lot of my female clients will, will suffer this to an extent at some point, but I do have clients where, at one specific client, she won't mind me talking about this, um, where we were, so we've been dieting for about six months now, and mm -hmm. she's done a phenomenal job. She's down almost like nine kilos. She's done a really good job. Um, but she was kind of noticing, she was like, why is it that every sort of four weeks or so, mm -hmm. my weight just climbs right back up sort of thing. And the first couple of months, she was getting really disheartened. She was like, I'm doing everything. I am like absolutely nailing my calories, my macros, my steps, my training. Why does it keep flying back up? And I was like, well, you know, look at your biofeedback. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're coming into this stage of your cycle. Like, yeah. you know, she was like, 
oh, this makes a lot more sense sort of yeah. thing. So talk me through a little bit of that and how, you know, that can impact weigh-ins and why women shouldn't be so disheartened when they see those kind of numbers on the scale and maybe they see some bloating and they see mm. some kind of water retention, um, you know, don't have to go completely into all the processes and yeah, stuff, yeah, but yeah. yeah, just give us a, a rough breakdown. Yeah. So it's, you know, and that you raise a really interesting point because people will take this study and assume a few different things. It's kind of like what we did with diet breaks. Yep. You know, we had the Matador study and it was like, diet breaks are awesome. And then everyone was using diet breaks. And then we had another study, I think it might've been from Jackson uh, Pios. Uh, I never know how to pronounce his surname, but the ice cap trial. Yep. Uh, and it was kind of, well, they're not as good as we thought that they were. And it was like, well, shit, diet breaks are shit. Let's yeah. throw them out there. Yeah. And it's like, guys, you're, you're missing the point. Like it's, it's not about saying, well, because this study says that the menstrual cycle doesn't affect performance, that doesn't mean that we throw it out the window and we don't take notice of it because you've, you've painted a really great picture of why that's important. During you know, a woman's cycle, it is so normal for her weight to increase in a really drastic way before she gets her bleed because the process of preparing for that does create fluid retention. It creates inflammation. It creates GI upset. So some women will get constipated. Some women go the other way. Mm. And it's that that's not in your head. So it's not to say, because this study said this, it means all of your symptoms are a lie. You're a liar get over it it's it's still contextual so yes you will experience an increase in scale weight around your bleed that will vary from woman to woman mm. but it's ultimately about those things that i just mentioned inflammation preparing for that uterine lining to shed preparing for the next cycle and it starts a few days generally before you actually get your period and it'll mm -hmm. last a few days while you have your period and then you'll notice like oh, I got this really big drop and yeah. what happened there? Yeah. And some women even get it around ovulation because the act of, you know, the egg implanting into the uterine wall might create some kind of inflammation, some kind of bloating. And that's why the tool of scales or measuring scale weight is one tool that we need to look in the context of over weeks, over months, not week to week, day to day. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Let's move into the next topic because I think this is one that you're pretty excited to talk about. Um, you know, um, obviously I don't have kids and I've, I'll put this out there. I've never trained anybody who is pregnant. I've never trained anybody who's come back after pregnancy because, so I don't know how it works globally, but in Australia you can do a, um, what's the specific qualification called again? Is it just the pre and post mm. qualification? Yeah, because I know you've got a gripe with a few of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I can't even tell you how many pre and postnatal qualifications I've done, but yeah, like, but you don't necessarily have to go and do that. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's kind of like you do your specialty courses because you're a good coach and you want to, you want to upskill your knowledge so you can ultimately help your clients better. Um, you don't have to technically take that. And some of them aren't that great, but yes, you'd take a pre or postnatal qualification and then that would guide you into helping that that sort of population. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I suppose 
even if you don't take the qualification, probably still a good idea to, yeah. <laughs> to seek out some kind of like oh, mentoring yeah, yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, um, sure. you know, for me, I'm really excited to dive into this because this is something that I, as I said, I really don't know huge amounts about. And, you know, it, it is a little surprising to me. Like I've been in this industry over half a decade and I've never had anybody really come to me and be like, oh, I'm, you know, in my first trimester or I'm, you know, yeah. just out of it or whatever. Um, potentially, again, maybe because I'm a male coach, it might be down to that. But talk us through it a little bit in terms of some of the things that women should be thinking about when they're, you know, when they're actually in the process of pregnancy and mm -hmm. kind of coming out. Like naturally it's going to be a bit of a timeline, I imagine, and there'll mm. be little main points whereby don't do this or keep doing this up until this point. Um, but you said yourself, you're very heavily immersed into fitness, being an advanced lifter and then having kids. What were some kind of adaptations and changes mm. that you maybe had to make? Yeah, that's probably the best question you've had. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so me experiencing my first pregnancy, I, I was exactly like you, Jack. Like, I've never coached a pre- or postnatal client ever. It's never been on my radar. I didn't care to do it. I didn't care to know about it. It's kind of like someone said to me, hey, Sheridan, I want to learn. I want to run a marathon. I'd be like, yeah, cool. I can recommend some people for you, but I am not that person. Yeah, really. yeah. Uh, so it, it wasn't on my radar and until I became pregnant and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, and, you know, being surrounded by so many great coaches uh, during that time, I naturally was like, well, who can I find to help me to do this, right? And all of the coaches that I knew to go to, it was clear that they didn't have enough knowledge mm. or experience around this and it was kind of like yeah I can do that and it's like but my registered brain registered nurse brain was like no there's more to that than this yeah, than just like, I can you can do it on a base level but yeah, there's more yeah, of this in depth yeah, yeah. yeah and like that's totally fine but I was like I want to one can I even grow muscle throughout pregnancy can I count calories and if I can count calories how many do I friggin need mm. can I push volume what can I do to make sure that I don't experience you know, pelvic floor dysfunction, prolapse and abdominal separation, all these questions that were going through my mind. And I was, I, I didn't know where to find the answers. And then when I did find answers, it was like, yeah, don't do weightlifting. You should just do Pilates and yoga. And I was like, well, that's not, yeah. no, that's not happening. So there <laughs> needs to be a way that I'm able to do what I want to do in a safe and effective way, because I'll be fully transparent. I cared about what my body composition was going to look like after pregnancy, sure, I yeah. was afraid, you know, what would my body, how would my body change throughout pregnancy? And uncertainty isn't a great emotion or experience for a human being. Um, and that kind of led me down the path of, well, this person doesn't know the answer. That person's giving me an answer that I'm not, I'm not accepting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's got to be more to this. Where do I go and find the answers? So, like I said, I did as many pre and postnatal courses as I could uh, I uh, you know got mentorships from pelvic health physiotherapists I read a lot of research and that's where I kind of seen hey women who are similar to me in that they are whether they're competitive bodybuilders because I don't work with bodybuilders mm. but I work with women who have extremely high standards of themselves they're yeah, highly okay. ambitious they 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 care about their body composition and not necessarily from a place of of 
vanity, but what their body their body composition represents to them how they view and see themselves. And that yes, was very yeah. much true for me. So when I speak about pre and postnatal, I like to separate pre and post okay. because it is very different. Your approach to it is is very different, which a lot of people kind of clump them together. Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing you always hear it being talked about as pre and postnatal. It's yeah. always like this is, and yeah, I mean, from having spoken to yourself about it, having spoken to other coaches, I know that there is a difference in approach, but yeah. when you hear people talk about it, it is very much kind of like, well, here's this sort of singular like timeline yes. <laughs> of what you've got to do. And it's yeah. like, I think there's probably more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, if I can just skip pre for a moment and go to postnatal. Yeah, of course. Because I feel that this is important to talk about because, you know, if a client come to you, Jack, and, and full transparency is always, always welcome. If she came to you and said, I am pregnant, I would really like for you to coach me. Do you think that there would be a part of you that was kind of like, oh, I kind of don't know what I'm doing here and oh, I'm probably not the right person? For yeah, it. huge part. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've yeah. had people approach me before and yeah. I've said no. Like I've said, I know people that you can go and work with. Yeah. And I do it on Instagram all the time. People will ask me a question. They'll be like, I'm three months post giving birth. When can I come back to this? And I yeah. always tag them to go to your page because yeah, I'm yeah. like, I don't know. And yeah. yeah, to coaches out there, there is no shame in that. Yeah. Like, there is no shame in saying, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> XYZ is much more versed on this than me. Yeah. Go speak to them. For sure. And and I feel like many coaches, particularly for the prenatal woman, will do that. Some won't. Yeah. Some won't. But let's not go there. <laughs> but when it comes to postnatal women, it's kind of this belief that oh okay you've had the baby now that's cool how many weeks postpartum are you six you've had your checkup sweet we're, yeah we're good to go let's go let's back into deadlifts back into squats i know exactly what i'm doing here bro you don't know what you're doing yeah like, and i've seen that so yeah, many times yeah. you, you don't know what you, you're doing and it's you know I, I put this up on my story last night it's like if someone came to you and they had just torn their acl if you're not a rehab specialist, you're going to tell them to go somewhere else. If someone's like, hey, I've got a massive hernia and I don't know how to train, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to refer that out. But there's this belief that because birth is a natural process, then it's you're good to go. When, yeah. when you think of the act of birthing, connective tissue is damaged, muscles are damaged, you've got this abdominal separation that, mind you, all women will have some degree of abdominal separation, she needs a dedicated period of rehab. Mm. And if you don't know how to do that, go away and leave her alone and tell her to go to someone else. Yes. Um, so prenatal, when we, when we talk about prenatal, my, I guess, priorities with the prenatal client is how do I keep her doing mostly what she has been doing, but as I receive that feedback from her and as her body changes... How do I adapt her training around that? So for a practical kind of takeaway for people, and so I'm not talking into this microphone for 900 hours about a topic <laughs> that I'm clearly very passionate about, it's about management of a few things. One big one is intra-abdominal pressure, how yep. she braces that core, how she breathes because that affects her intra-abdominal pressure, how she uh, manages her pelvic floor throughout her training and how do we also just make sure that we're not making any abdominal separation worse. That's going to change as her 
pregnancy progresses because if you imagine a baby growing on the pelvic floor, which is a collection of muscles, yep. it's going to be increasingly under more stress as we go along. Yeah, of course. But then when we get to our postnatal period, there's, you know, the highly ambitious woman will be like, cool, had the baby now, I can go back to what I was doing. And I know my body, quote unquote. Yeah. I know my yeah. body. You don't know your body. And I say that with so much love and respect, but you don't know your body. You knew your body before you had a baby. You knew your body even when you were pregnant. This body that you have now, you don't know. You don't know yeah. how she, her limits, you don't know how she moves, and you need time. Yeah. So I like that. I like that. It's, yeah, I, I could answer this in so many different ways, but I hope that that kind of gives you a perspective of how complex navigating this period is for women and while birth is natural while it is normal while it is not an injury you respect it the same way you do an injury 100 percent, it's still physically traumatic right yeah. you know to put it in a very like <laughs> aggressive yep. sort of term but it, yep. it is it is still a big trauma on your body and i think this is the thing right as human beings we don't respect stress we don't respect yeah. <laughs> like physical trauma as much we like we look at all these things and we're just kind of like i'm just gonna fucking power through this like mm. everything yeah. everything not just pregnancy but like you know, even down to training and stuff you know i went into the gym yesterday i've been there for like seven hours and filmed some content with mostly done some pt sessions i'm sitting there and i'm like I am fucked. <laughs> I should not train right now, yeah. but I'm going to go do my workout, yeah. you know? And yeah. I'm sitting there in my second set of pressing and I'm like, my shoulder really hurts. Like, mm -hmm. and the smart thing to do would be like, okay, just go home, sack it in. No, I did six more sets, yeah. you know, of pressing and then on to the next thing. And we just have this tendency to just push through things. Whereas mm -hmm. you're right. Like, especially something like pregnancy where it is, it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have to put it out there. It is a big deal. You know, as you said, you need to respect it. You need to give your body what it needs, not what you want Wants, for it. Yeah. Um, and you need to give it time. Which are often two very different things. Absolutely, yeah. Need <laughs> yeah. and want are very, like, different yes. ends of the spectrum for yeah. most people. Yeah. I need a car. I don't need a Mercedes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, to go for a couple more, like, really specific questions then through pregnancy, because these are some things that come up quite a lot that I see. Yeah, so, sure. number one, hip thrusting while mm. pregnant. So, is there a barrier where you kind of go, okay, we don't want to be loading this mm. position? Is there sort of a, a normal kind of cutoff for that? Or is it, you know, fairly individual? Yeah, it, it is fairly individual, but mostly between pregnancies. And I say that because pregnancy one, that you've, you know, you've never been pregnant before, everything's kind of held together really quite tightly, right? Sure. It's, 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 it's hasn't grown a human, whereas, if you have a subsequent pregnancy, it's like, well, if you're like me and I had two pregnancies within an 11-month period, your body has still got a lot of healing to do, right? So when, if I'm talking to a woman and she's like, when do I stop barbell hip thrusting? Because there's this debate where people will be like, well, you can continue hip thrusting. And it's like, okay, well, the way that I look at hip thrusting during pregnancy mm. is well, not just during pregnancy, during any kind of program, what is the potential benefit of this exercise? And what is the potential risk of this exercise? Yes. And does the potential benefit outweigh the potential risk that this exercise comes with? And for me, if you think about growing a baby and where the baby sits and the fact that your uterus is growing and that baby's head descends into that uterus, 
why would you chuck 100 kilos across that pelvis that is one unstable because yeah. your hormones are changing and there is a lack of stability in your pelvic region to train the glutes in the shortened position when you can do that through however many other exercises yeah go and do a freaking back extension go and do a single leg hip thrust go and do a cable kickback you can do the same thing in a variety of other ways that don't have the same risk profile yeah yeah. So for me, it's common sense, but I don't know what it is about the hip thrust that people, are, they're married to it. Yeah, it's that emotional attachment though, yes, isn't it? But, yeah. but also it's that typical human thing, isn't it? Of saying, yeah. don't do this. I want to do it. Like, you yeah, know, as soon as you hear yeah, that, like you yeah. might say to someone, oh, look, you, you could do if you wanted to, but it might be a bit dangerous. And they'll go, I probably shouldn't do it yeah, then. But as soon as yeah. you go, do no. not do that, <laughs> yeah. they go, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's very, very true, human, human nature. But, you know, if it's a subsequent pregnancy, I really just try and remove that pretty much straight away. Yeah. If it's the start of a pregnancy, like your first pregnancy, I'll say, look, when you notice that you're, because you get to a point where you notice your uterus is popping a little bit more because it's growing, Yeah. remove it then. But... In my own training and in my clients' training, I just approach it like, well, I can train your glutes in the shortened position in a variety of other ways. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So it is individualized, but I just kind of think if it, exercise is not absolutely needed, why do we need to be doing it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that answer a lot. <laughs> um, how about tracking calories naturally? Mm. Like there's going to be a lot of women, as you said for yourself before, concerned about body composition post-pregnancy do you I don't really know how the best way to phrase this question is but is there a point where you kind of draw the line with people like is there a specific amount of extra calories that women should be looking at intaking as they get as they get further into pregnancy I assume you're probably looking at it kind of increasing the closer you get towards childbirth but I have also read a lot of stuff where it's not as considerable of an extra amount as a lot mm. of people would think yeah, well, you're definitely not eating for two. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, um, you definitely not I've heard that old saying of like, yeah, start having two dinners and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but so. that was that was the mentality that we had, a, a, you know, not not so long ago. Yeah. You're eating for two. You were definitely not. But it's an interesting question because it depends on the country. Okay. In terms of recommendations that they make for each trimester of pregnancy. So the NRV, so the nutrient reference values, recommend something very different to what the UK recommends. So the NRV is no uh, additional calories in trimester one. I think in trimester two, it's like some random 333 calories or something like that, okay, if I'm yeah, remembering. Just to be awkward, yeah. yeah. Just to be awkward. <laughs> make sure you get that extra three. Yeah, like, yeah, make sure yeah. 100%. Yeah, that <laughs> 0.75 grams of protein yes. that you need or something, yeah. Yeah. And then trimester three is something like 504 or something like that. Okay, I'm sure. probably butchering those, but 305. It sounds similar to what I've heard in terms of the amount yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. But then you look at the UK and they say, so that's the NICE guidelines. They say, you don't need any extra calories until trimester three in which you should add an additional 200 calories okay so that's a big difference right? yeah that's very different yeah uh, so what's a what's a gal to do it's again there is a recommendation in terms of 
how much weight women are recommended to gain throughout pregnancy. And outside of pregnancy, the words BMI don't come out of my mouth. Yeah. But during pregnancy, it's a useful tool to gauge where the woman came into pregnancy. So asking her what her pre-pregnancy BMI was mm -hmm. gives you an indication of, okay, how much weight would you realistically or healthily gain throughout this pregnancy? Because we do know that gaining too much weight too soon throughout pregnancy has negative health implications for both mum and baby. Sure. Uh, so... If you're in a normal BMI, you can expect to gain upwards of 16 kilos throughout your pregnancy. Women will hear that and be like, holy wow, 16 kilos is a lot. Yeah. But you have to remember that that's, it's not 16 kilos of maternal body fat. You're growing a baby. You have a placenta. You have an increase in blood volume. You have amniotic fluid. You have all of these things happening, which contribute toward the amount of weight that you gain. If your BMI is over a healthy range... It's recommended that your weight gain, I'm pretty sure it's between 10 to 12 kilos. Okay. So it's not that you're dieting. It's never safe to diet in pregnancy. That is a question that I get on the weekly. Yeah. Can we emphasize that, please? It's, it's never safe to diet while pregnant. Yes. There we go. Yes. And, you know, like always speak to your doctor, of course. I've never heard of a doctor saying, we're going to get you losing weight while you're pregnant. It's about weight management now yeah sure so if we were to say okay let's calculate your calories around your maintenance level in trimester one because they're really you know you don't really gain that much in trimester one so what i do with my clients is i calculate their maintenance from where they are and then if they're comfortable with it and i always have this discussion with women do you want to talk about this is this something that you want help with do mm. you is this a boundary that feels okay for you? Because, you know, it's a lot for women. Yeah, um, I can imagine. It can be a touchy subject. So if they're happy with that and they're like, yep, I want to make sure that I'm, one, gaining an appropriate amount of weight, but two, not gaining excessive weight. We start at maintenance and then there's a really cool tool. Um, I think it might be New South Wales Get Healthy, something like that. Okay. Just Google, like pregnancy weight gain calculator it can be a really cool tool for people who don't have a coach okay we'll put and the link in the description below yeah jack will remind me to send that to him <laughs> um but that graphs where you are in your pregnancy so it'll tell you if you haven't gained enough weight if you've gained too much weight and you adjust as you do anything not gained enough weight over time guys not week to week month to month month to month month to month if you didn't gain enough eat more. Mm. If you gain too much, maybe just bring it back a little bit. It doesn't have to be this, how many calories and, yeah. you know, yeah. so keep your protein up, monitor your weight, adjust according to the, that, that weight change. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I think again, it's that, that thing, isn't it? Just simplify it. Simplify yeah, yeah. it as much as possible. Like it always sounds yeah. like, as you said, it's a big thing, but it always sounds so much more complicated than it really needs to actually be. Yeah. Um, and just so we're covering all bases before we wrap up here, thoughts on cardio while you're pregnant? Because I get mm. this quite a lot and it's not necessarily from people kind of talking in body composition ways. They might be someone who's coming from a running background or a cycling background or something like that. And they mm. are very much like married to this endurance cardio mm. kind of lifestyle. Um are there recommendations around that? Obviously, 
aside from obviously the safety, um, you know, you don't want to be going like trail biking or something like that yeah. while pregnant, probably not yeah. a good idea. Um, but you know, for people who are like endurance runners or something like that, you know, mm. um, I imagine, as you said, weight maintenance and kind of management would be a big one because your if your energy out is still so high, yeah. you have to be eating a lot of food, but, yeah. um, are there any other considerations around that or is it pretty much just standard? So when we're looking at high impact exercise in general, hmm let's call that running. Sure. There is going to be an increased pressure on the pelvic floor eventually. So it's not that you can't run throughout pregnancy, but should you choose to continue running, my recommendation would be go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist. And in fact, my recommendation to every woman, even not pregnant, is go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist who will be able to do an assessment of your pelvic floor health, how strong it is, how weak it is, how able you're, how well you're able to manage it under load, pressure, mm. et cetera. And they will guide you in terms of, is this safe for you? Because for some women, it's okay. Mm. For some women, they might need to scale back the impact. And most women at some point need to scale back the impact uh so i hope that that covers in terms of the question on of endurance but when we look at cardio specifically let's say not an endurance runner just you know doing a spin session or whatever it is yeah uh and you listen to my podcast with jordan si yes. we spoke about cardio yeah my recommendations stand with that that you okay. know resistance-based training is very beneficial for uh pregnancy and ladies, please don't stop doing resistance-based training when you're pregnant. Please do not do that because, you know, the best that I always want to hope for is how do I maintain the muscle mass of this woman? Not just from an aesthetic point of view, but when you, are, when you give birth to this baby and your body is in a um, deconditioned state which has a number of injuries that you will be nursing, it's important to have a really good base level of muscle mass to support the joints and the fact that you your hormones have changed, the stability of your pelvis, etc. Um, a lot of women kind of just go down the route of, oh, I'll just do Pilates and yoga. And any movement is great. I'm not mocking that or, you know, um, diminishing that. If that's all you can tolerate, that's what yeah. you do. But please prioritise resistance-based training. Then when we look at cardio... Cardio trains your heart, resistance-based training trains your muscles. You need a combination of both. Yeah, 100%. So I try and work with the woman to be like, all right, well, if you're doing five resistance-based training sessions a week, can we change one of those to some kind of circuit-based training? Because her heart health and um, even for delivery and birth, you, it's, a, it's a very tiring experience. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. yeah. It doesn't uh, sound like a breeze, that's yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you kind of are training for birth throughout your pregnancy and preparing your body for that. So I'm all for cardio, but it's managing the impact, uh, making sure that you're covering that. And then also, you know, you want to be some, you want to be able to carry on a conversation. So yeah. the, the myths about you need to monitor your heart rate, you don't need to do that. But you do want to avoid, you know, overexerting yourself. So overheating sure. and just making sure that if you are doing cardio, you can carry on somewhat of a conversation. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Sheridan, we'll wrap it up there because I am cognizant of your time. I could honestly listen to this all day. Like, I feel like I've just learned more in the last hour than I have in the last kind of six months. So yeah, good. I really appreciate you coming on. Please plug away where everybody can find you, coaching, podcast, all that sort of stuff. 
yes. Um, funnily enough, I, as I said, I did the podcast with Mark, and he's like, yeah, plug away. And I was like, yeah, my name's Sheridan. And he's like, where can people find you? What about your podcast? Yeah. And I'm like, I really need to get better at this market yeah. stuff. Um, I'm just really happy to have the conversation. So thank you for, for the opportunity and for the space. So You're welcome. Instagram, Sheridan Sky Fit. Uh, I do have a podcast, funnily enough, that I keep telling, forgetting to tell people about. It's called the Female Fitness Formula Podcast. Uh, it's on Spotify and Apple. And then for my one-on-one coaching, that's through Team by Lane. So if you want to work specifically with me, being that I'm the pre and postnatal specialist, just jump to their website and they'll direct you to me. Amazing. Thank you so much. And as always, my links will all be down below. I feel like you've all heard them enough times. You don't need me to go off on it again. This has been the Jack Hallows Podcast. This has been Sheridan Sky. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.